You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. You're listening to episode 146 of the Well Woman podcast. This is our last episode for 2021, and I'm very excited to be bringing you the topic of natural fertility and cervical mucus. In this episode, we are joined by Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. She is a certified fertility awareness educator and a holistic reproductive health practitioner. She teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. She has a beautiful new book called The Fifth Vital Sign, where she debunks the myth that regulating ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence-based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. In this episode together, we talk all things natural fertility awareness. We touch on the methods of natural fertility awareness and how they differ from each other and their different purposes. We touch on what if I don't have cervical mucus and then what is the role of cervical mucus. So if you're a little bit confused about cervical mucus discharge, this is a really great episode to learn about that. We also touch base and cover how accurate is natural fertility awareness and how you can start charting your cycle for fertility, along with why Lisa thinks the menstrual cycle should be considered as a vital sign. I can't wait for you to wrap your ears around this podcast. At the end of the episode, I'm going to be sharing with you a bunch of information about what's coming in 2022 as we wrap up for the last episode for 2021. If you haven't already, make sure you go over and check out our brand new Well Women Academy that is now available online. Head to wellsome.com forward slash academy to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you over there. Lisa, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. We are going to be diving into like all things fertility and natural fertility and talking about charting. And I think this is such a beautiful topic and I'm very blessed to have you join us for this particular topic. Um, As we jump into it, though, tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in in this moment today? Well, so I'm on day 27 of my cycle and um I tend to not ovulate on day 14, which we'll probably get into. So I'm still, I'm in the luteal, but my period is not coming tomorrow. It's probably in a couple of days. Um, And so during this phase of my cycle, I just tend to kind of take it easy. Fantastic. I love that. Easy inner autumns. Oh, that's going to be me next week. (laughs) Um, Now tell us, like you are one of like the fertility queens on Instagram, I would say. Oh, you're sweet. Um, I love all these topics. Um, I also love the fact that you've written this book, The Fifth Vital Sign, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But tell us, how did you become a fertility educator? Like how did you get into this world of endocrine system, reproductive health, and fertility awareness? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story, I think, in retrospect, it was supposed to happen. (laughs) Uh, So I was, you know, about, I think 15 or 16 when I went on the pill for really painful periods because I was, and they were really heavy too. And I was in ballet, like 
I always say like, there's nothing like heavy bleeding in a leotard. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So, but you know, girls talk. And so I knew about the pill. And so that's, I went into the doctor's office with my parents and cause it was like, legitimately, I wasn't having sex. I just wanted this pill to help me with these problems. And so I basically said three words, he put me on the pill and I was <laughs> fixed. And so because I wasn't sexually active, every now and then I would kind of stop taking it to see what would happen. And every time I came off of it, it, it was just as bad. So fast forward to when I actually needed birth control. It was, I think, my first year in college. And I uh, decided <laughs> uh, that I didn't want to be on the pill anymore. I had some concerns. I feel like I'm kind of the opposite of a lot of people because, and I was thinking about this the other day as well. Sometimes you know, if, if your pill period falls on an inconvenient day, you just like take another pack. And so I was terrified that if, if I was pregnant, like if it didn't work, cause nothing's hundred percent effective, right. Uh, that I would potentially like not know and just be pregnant and <laughs> potentially be taking this pill and not like, so that for me, for whatever reason, maybe I'm a weirdo. That was more terrifying. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, this is legitimately where my mind went. So when I needed birth control and then also like I wasn't using it for birth control. So I would take it at the different times. I would miss a day sometimes. And I read the pack, you know, it would say like take two the day after and all that. And I just felt like that would be too stressful for me. So I decided condoms work. Like that's my, my brain was like, I can, can handle condoms. And then at least if something happens, I'll know that I'm pregnant if my period doesn't come. Um, and, and then I also decided I would have to figure out how to manage the painful periods. Cause I didn't think it was, even though I didn't have the language, I didn't actually think it was supposed to be that way. Cause it was really, really bad. And uh, lo and behold, right around the time I made that decision, I discovered fertility awareness. So on my university campus, there was a group of women who met monthly, um, some of whom were, you know, certified educators, some of wow. whom were training. And so like, you know, I, I started attending, but I just didn't ever stop coming. And eventually a group of us took a class in our twenties so that we could teach. And so this was more of a grassroots kind of thing. I never really thought it would be a career or profession, but, you know, then came social media and, um, you podcast <laughs> platforms. And so at, at, you know, it was later on that I decided to kind of put this knowledge out there. So basically learning fertility awareness changed the trajectory trajectory of my life. And it was also really fascinating. Uh, my first exposure to it was basically learning that you're not fertile every day, which was pretty, you know, groundbreaking Joe on because, the floor, kind of, <laughs> right? what? the opposite of what I had been taught. And especially because I had already decided I was going to use condoms. It was so helpful because then I learned that I could actually identify when I was fertile in my cycle. So I would know the period of time when I really needed to be on top of things, making sure I'm using my chosen birth control method correctly. And it also, you know, allowed me to understand and pop out of that fear mindset because I, I now realize that I actually wasn't fertile every day. So that's basically the short version, I think, even though it was kind of long. No, not long at all. I think I just, I love hearing everyone's different journeys and how they get into, especially the health industry and the journey of that. Um, that's so beautiful. What a, an amazing university campus to be able to offer something like that. Like I think of schools and universities here in Australia. And I'm like, if only that was awful. Well, and you know, to be fair, it was, so I lived around the campus and it, the organization itself is not part of the university. It's just that they would off, offer those and be in connection with the women's center on campus and things like that. So it wasn't necessarily like the university <laughs> that set it up, but it was just kind of that whole environment um, 
and I, I always call, you know, I was in my post high school, you know, feminist phase kind of thing. And I was discovering all these cool things and it really helped. And so I was able to use fertility awareness method throughout my whole twenties, um, to avoid pregnancy and it worked. And I like it, it, you know, it was a good experience. And then when I got married and when my husband and I decided we wanted to have a baby, I mean, we just simply flipped, flipped the switch. Um, but that was an interesting experience as well. So I had spent my whole twenties avoiding. And the first time we tried for a baby, it actually took four cycles before I conceived. And looking back, I wasn't, I didn't get to the point where I was afraid. Like I didn't get to the point where I was nervous, but I remember just like thinking like, this is so weird because I was terrified of an unplanned pregnancy all throughout my twenties during that window, obviously. Like, so I was mm -hmm. always so on top of it. Um, so when finally, you know, we had sex on the day, of course I thought I would get pregnant immediately. So it was really, it was a real experience. And then, um, and then I did conceive in my fourth cycle and I actually promptly had a miscarriage very early on. And then I conceived in my second cycle and that was my first son um, or the cycle after the miscarriage. So it was just, a yeah, I think that would also be interesting to your listeners. Cause I feel like that was, that was Very something I had to wrap my head around. It's an interesting process because women, you know, cannot even be trying to conceive and then fall pregnant. And it's like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. We're having a baby. And then there's some, you know, uh, couples and women who try to conceive for months and months and months and then don't conceive. Um, if I think of um, my best friend, she was trying to conceive for, you know, at least two years with her partner at the time, a very committed relationship and that didn't work. And then after she, um, you know, and like after they ended that relationship, she met someone else and she thought, look, there's no way I'm going to fall pregnant, like, you know, the drop of a hat because, you know, we, I tried for so long and she did lots of procedures in that time frame to kind of improve her fertility chances and, um, and then fell pregnant as a surprise. And now she's got a beautiful six month old baby. Um, but it's just interesting. Like there's a lot of even energetic dynamics that come into it, I believe. Um, but for everyone who's listening to this, Lisa, what is natural fertility awareness and what is natural fertility and how is something that's called fertility actually going to help you not fall pregnant? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think so there's the way when I talk about it, you know, fertility awareness is more of a general kind of concept. And then under that umbrella would be several different fertility awareness based methods if you're looking for a method of birth control. So it's helpful to, uh, to, to not think that there's like one method that everybody agrees on because it doesn't really work like that. But fertility awareness as a general concept means that you have an understanding of how your cycle works. So it means that you've addressed some of those myths, like the myth that you're fertile every single day, and you start to understand how everything works. So if I were to take you through the cycle, the first day of your cycle is the first day of your period, the first day of your true flow. And, you know, your period in a typical cycle should last anywhere from about three to seven days. The average is about four to five. Once your period is done, you are in your pre-ovulatory phase. So you're, you know, approaching ovulation in a typical healthy cycle. And so after your period in a typical cycle, there's generally a few days that we would call dry days before you start to see cervical fluid. And then once you, and basically what's happening during this time is that your ovary is, um, is maturing a follicle. So there's an actual egg that's growing in that 
follicles making all these great hormones. So as you approach ovulation, that's when you start to see cervical fluid. So many women may have seen it before looking back, you know, I did notice it when I was a teenager, but of course I didn't know what it was. So I remember that all of a sudden it seemed I would feel the sense of wetness and I feel, you know, have this wet stuff in my underwear. And I remember talking to my mom about it and she told me to wear a panty liner, like looking back, that was my cervical mucus, but of course I didn't know about it. So we tend to make the cervical fluid for anywhere from about two to seven days. I think the average is about five to six days before ovulation. So that is the part of your cycle where conception is possible. So for everyone who's heard that sperm can survive in your body for up to five days, it's really only when you have that cervical fluid, when you're during that approaching ovulation, because it's the cervical fluid that keeps the sperm alive. And when you're not making it, your vagina is really acidic and inhospitable. So the sperm just die basically. It's not a good home for the sperm. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good home. Um, And then once you ovulate your, um, you start making progesterone, which then suppresses the cervical fluid production. And for the rest of the cycle, you would be dry, meaning that you wouldn't see any cervical fluid. And so um, with the concept of fertility awareness, it's really understanding how that works. So fertility awareness doesn't allow you to predict exactly when you're going to ovulate, but it allows you to know when you're fertile in the cycle it helps you to be able to identify ovulation once it's happened. And then once you have a, you know, cycle or two under your belt, you're able to predict your period. So once you ovulate in a healthy cycle, your period's going to come 12 to 14 days later. So that for, so fertility awareness then is that general understanding, like this is how my cycle works. This is when I'm fertile. This is when I'm not. And so to answer your question of how do you then use that for birth control so that's when you would get into, you know, there's different methods. There's certain methods that look at cervical fluid only. I think the most common method is, um, you know, similar to the method that I teach, which falls under the category of the symptothermal method. So we're tracking cervical fluid, we're tracking basal body temperature and also cervical position. And so, I mean, when you get into the nitty gritty of it, there's more to it, but you do the, the basic premise is that you need to understand, uh, track your cervical fluid know that those days are fertile before ovulation. And then you have to be able to confirm ovulation using your mucus and your temperature so that you know when is basically when pregnancy is not possible versus when it's possible. And so for anyone who this is a new concept for, after you confirm ovulation using mucus and temperature, and there's rules around that, pregnancy is impossible um, for a couple of reasons. One, because once you ovulate, if the egg is not fertilized, it only survives for about 12 to 24 hours and then it's gone. And the second reason is because the cervix is actually closed. You can feel it, which is super interesting. I know that was mm-hmm. really fascinating for me. So the cervix is actually closed and it's filled with a thick mucus plug. So the sperm can't penetrate it. Um, and then the vagina is acidic without the mucus. So the sperm dies. So I think that is really helpful information to know that there's a period of time in your cycle where pregnancy is actually impossible. Um, it's helpful to know that when you want to avoid pregnancy, but it's also helpful to know that when you're trying so that you kind of know when it counts and when it doesn't. This is such good information. I, it's life-changing, I would say, you know, for someone who has never learned this before and then learns it in depthly, it's like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. And my cycle is different at all different times. And it really helps you connect so deeply with your yoni and your vagina as well. Um, and the crazy thing is that it's like basic biology. 
So, so that's the thing. I mean, for someone who's just hearing this for the first time, it can sound kind of crazy, but I mean, you can fact check me like this, this is legitimately biology. So you can actually like, so really what happens is when women do fact check me and figure out that this stuff is real, they tend to get kind of pissed off because it's like, why weren't we talking? This is literally basic biology. Exactly. And I think it's the same kind of question as like, well, where's the pamphlet for the to-be mother who's about to enter labor that's going to give her the biology of all these things that are going to happen, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, unfortunately we just don't have, you know, a menstrual cycle biology um, handout that's easy for everyone. You know, well, I know I didn't grow up with anything like that. Um, I'd love to ask you, I know you mentioned about the hypnothermal method with cervical position, mucus, um, cervical fluid um, slash BBT. Um, I'd love to ask you like some other methods that are, you know, fertility awareness. But before you do, I love that you mentioned, and I'm interested actually to find out because you mentioned about how sperm can only live for five days in a, like in a fertile environment. When I studied natural fertility um, with the midwifery association that, you know, certified me, they said up to seven days. And yeah, so I'm... it's crazy. <laughs> well, so Ultimately, I mean, <clears throat> I, I can't say I've seen every research paper on the planet. Um, the research papers I've looked at, you know, they kind of look at different things. So some of them will actually like test the sperm in the mucus to see how long they live. Mm-hmm. And so those studies that I've looked at, they don't really have the sperm living beyond five days. Um, there's a, a, a kind of a popular study that measured when the sex occurred in relation to pregnancy. So, you know, it had these women who were trying to get pregnant, have sex on different days of their cycle to determine when pregnancy is actually possible. And so what's interesting is that there's actually quite a bit of research that would indicate that the fertile window is six days long. So five days before ovulation and ovulation day itself. So, um, you know, in the study that I'm thinking of, um, I think it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and um, What's and and they actually broke it down. So you know what percentage chance was there for the participants who had sex five days before ovulation versus on ovulation day itself? And I think in the study it was like those who had sex on five days before ovulation, the chance of pregnancy was like ten percent versus on ovulation day it was thirty percent. I mean, when I'm working with a client, <laughs> um, let's say someone who's avoiding pregnancy, you you're fertile, you're not because you can't like be yeah. kind of pregnant, right? <laughs> so um, totally. So we just talk about them as fertile days. But um, that is, is basically, you know, how I derive that information. I think that um, when you're trying to avoid pregnancy, there are different steps that you're going to take, you know, um, there are different ways to manage the pre-ovulatory phase. So, you know, I teach my clients to last pre-ovulatory day um, and fertile day calculation in addition to mucus so that if they don't have the most um, healthy mucus patterns, (laughs) which is pretty common with so many women having many years off the pill that they have the ability to do that, even if their mucus patterns aren't great. So there, there is a different approach you take to be on the safe side when you're trying to avoid pregnancy, but from the scientific standpoint, it's the window is six days. It's like five days (laughs) before ovulation and ovulation day. Um, I love all of this information. This like makes my tires spin. I get really excited. Thank you for sharing. 
I love that you shared about the fifth and then the sixth day. <clears throat> it's interesting. Some of the clients that I've worked with, and obviously people come to me mostly for cycle imbalances. So they have an imbalance cycle, but the number of clients that have, before we've, they've learned the fertility method one-on-one, they've misinterpreted when they actually are ovulating. And then for those who have cycle imbalances, especially cycle stress that impacts their follicular and pre-ovulation phase, is that there's a, there's very common patterns of trying to ovulate, not ovulating, and then trying to ovulate, and then not ovulating, and then trying to ovulate. Oh, I ovulated, and you know, therefore having irregular cycles. Um, I still want to ask you about different methods of fertility awareness, but do you often see that as well with um, you know changing ovulation patterns from cycle to cycle and lifestyle factors impacting ovulation? Um, well, yes, absolutely. I think it's important to know that so. I mean, we're taught this 28 day model ovulation always on day 14. So what's helpful to know is that the pre-ovulatory phase. So the period of time before ovulation is the most variable part of the cycle. So if you have a woman that has a 28 day cycle, then ovulation, you know, likely happens somewhere between days 14 and 16, depending on the length of her luteal phase. And if she has, let's say 45 day cycle, the, the big difference would be in her date of ovulation. So in a 45 day cycle, maybe she ovulated on like day 32 or something yeah. like that. And so, uh, the important thing to know is that it's not, although it's common, it's not optimal to have a cycle that varies in length more than eight days from cycle to cycle, or that is longer than 35 days, like most of the time. So those would be a sign that there's something wrong. So typically Fantastic. women who have those multiple patches of cervical fluid and kind of like that, that, and that's the, the multiple patches of cervical fluid are evidence that the body is kind of gearing up to ovulation and then something's pulling it back. And so that's, um, it can be stress like when it happens occasionally. So if you have a client whose cycles are mostly normal, but she has one random cycle, that's abnormal, that's different to someone who has a consistent pattern of delayed ovulation. So we see that in PCOS and certainly there's other issues that cause inflammation and different problems that would cause this consistent pattern of disturbed ovulation. But those are underlying issues that you'd want to be looking into. A hundred percent. I think this just is great for everyone listening, that it just highlights that if you feel that there's something off with your cycle, as in there is an imbalance, or you do have some form of cycle sign, or you have an irregular cycle, or it is longer than 35 days, or it's always changing in length, is look into it don't ignore it you know like spend some time looking into it so thank you for highlighting all of that well and just now sorry just yeah. to take on to that I think the one thing though is that it can be challenging so for example if you go to your doctor and you say okay well Good my point. cycles are abnormal or oh my ovulation is delayed I mean it's a little harder for them if you're on the pill because or if sorry if you're trying to conceive because their go-to is going to be the pill um, so if you're trying to conceive, then they might just tell you to, you know, okay, well, we'll do Clomid or we'll do these drugs. So if you are wanting to look kind of from a functional perspective and you're wanting to get to the root cause of the problem, then you're going to have to really consider who it is that you're going to go to. Are you going to go yes. to functional medicine doctor? Who's actually going to look at your hormones? Are you going to go to a naturopathic doctor? Um, are you going to go to somebody who specializes in you know, menstrual cycle chart assessment, <laughs> like the kinds of things that I do with my clients. So I think it doesn't mean everyone needs doctors. I'm not saying, you know, but I'm saying like, you have to understand yep. what your doctor is going to give you, what their limitations are when it comes to actually looking at the root cause issues. And I also think, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, 
you know, in my world, you know, and the people in my inner circle, like the doctor's not going to be the first person we go to if, if there is a challenge, you know, like if I feel, if I feel bad, I'm, I'm going to get acupuncture. I'm, you know, I'm definitely looking at alternate, you know, more holistic views and ways of like supporting my body. And I think that if you're trying something or you've been doing something and you don't feel fully supported is the, why don't we look elsewhere? So there's always more places you can look if you're listening to this and you're feeling really frustrated. Um, so thank you for making a point on that. Really good, really good take on point for everyone listening. Now, natural fertility awareness methods, you mentioned about sympnothermal earlier. What other forms of methods are there in natural fertility? Well, yeah, so there's methods that utilize uh, cervical fluid only. So um, like there's the Billings method and the Cretan method where it's really checking your cervical fluid and they do it in different ways. Um, I think the Billings method is more of a, you know, you're kind of perceiving how you feel, how it's different because you would notice that there's some days that you feel more, you know, lubricative and things like that. Um, whereas the Cretan method and the method I'm trained in is the justice method, uh, which is very similar in some ways to the Cretan method. Um, so you're doing, um, you know, external wiping to check your cervical fluid and classifying the mucus and just really having a good understanding of when you're fertile, when you're not. So I think it is helpful to kind of know that. So mucus only methods aren't great for everybody. <laughs> you know, every, if you don't have any mucus, <laughs> a mucus only method isn't going to work for you. Or if you have some different challenges, so there's reasons why people might have issues with mucus. Some women after coming off the pill for, you know, 10, 15 years, they might have limited mucus for a period of time, which can make it a bit challenging. Or if you've ever had HPV or, um, you know, a cervical dysplasia, or you've ever had a procedure for that, you know, that can have, you know, some effects to your mucus production, et cetera. Um, but there are mucus only methods. There are methods that utilize temperature only. So there are apps and devices where you input your temperature and essentially it would only be after. So the temperature rises after ovulation, the temperature rises a result of ovulation. So it doesn't have a predictive value, but it can help you to confirm the period of time when you are no longer, um, fertile so that it can be helpful for birth control. Um, there are symptom hormonal methods, which are interesting. And so those often implore a combination of some of the, so they might look at, they may look at mucus and temperature, but they're going to look at the LH strips. So the ovulation predictor kits in conjunction with your other observations or progesterone testing to confirm ovulation or even estrogen testing, um, devices that actually will, you, you know, you, <clears throat> you test your urine for several days and it'll detect the estrogen rise. Um, I'm trying to think what other, I mean, there's tons of apps and, and devices that boast to be, um, <clears throat> you know, birth control devices and things like that. So I think that it's always very, very important though. I'm, I'm a little bit biased. So, you know, keep that in mind, but, you know, I teach women to track their cycles. So, so that you understand what's happening and the challenge is if you don't have experience actually tracking and you download an app and you plug in a cycle or two or whatever, and it tells you, oh, you're fertile, you're not, you know, what I always say is the apps are nice, but I think they should all, you know, be used in conjunction with our own knowledge, because at the end of the day, the app doesn't know if you have mucus in your panties today. I love that. I'm on the same biased train as you, because I always say until they put a microchip in your body connected with your endocrine system that's connected to the app it's never going to be really accurate <laughs> even that I feel like even that is sketchy I, so, I still wouldn't yeah. I still wouldn't trust it but I, <laughs> I see where you're going with that but I, <laughs> you know I think the 
when I was younger, so when I was first discovering this and I was very, like, I was like 19. (laughs) So I had a very kind of immature look at it. You know, I kind of thought you could only screw this up if you were trying to avoid pregnancy. Like, how could you screw this up if you were actually trying to get pregnant? Well, you can, because if the app tells you that you're fertile on day 14, but you actually ovulate early and really you were fertile on day 11, you're just going to wait until day 14 to have sex. Right. A lot of women do this. And then they just don't get pregnant. So, uh, so at the end of the day, like it can screw you up, even if you're trying to conceive and worse, if you're specifically timing sex wrong. Yeah. I think it just goes back to like charting is one of the best ways to know your body. Like it's a rite of passage to know your body and to know where you are in your cycle. And so that's why I love charting too. And I do want to ask you about how we could start charting for someone who's like brand new to it, but you mentioned about mucus. And so I'd love to ask you, well, what if there is this, like a menstruator listens to this and they're like, oh, I don't really get much mucus. And I've had some clients like this too. What, like, what do you suggest? Like, how do you answer that? If someone's like, but what if I don't have mucus? Well, so, I mean, as an educator, the first question that I have is, so for instance, like I I take my clients through a process where we actually chart or or track mucus and check it in a specific way, because the first thing I need to identify is what's really there. So to give an example, I've had clients who tell me they have mucus every single day. I have clients who tell me they never see mucus. And sometimes when we actually get down to it, you know, the ones that have me think they have mucus every day, really don't have a whole lot. And the ones that think they never have mucus find some. (laughs) Um, So the first thing I would say, you know, I'd want to just have a conversation. How are you tracking what's happening? So, uh, you know, when I first learned to chart my cycles, I bought taking charge of your fertility, which is where, you know, most of us start with our charting journeys. And in that book, she describes a method of checking for cervical mucus that is internal checking. So essentially inserting your finger into your vagina and checking to see what you find. And so uh, if you're checking internally, it's more likely that you're going to see, uh, some sort of moisture every day. Um, and some women will say, well, I tried checking externally. Like I tried wiping. So wiping your vulva and then looking at the toilet paper to see if there's any mucus and, oh, you know, I never see anything on the toilet paper, but if I check internally, I see it. So I think the first thing is to establish what we're really seeing. Um, as I had alluded to before, there are certain, you know, there's a number of reasons why a person might not be seeing anything any mucus. So that would be part of the investigation. Um, like I mentioned recent pill use, I've had clients who come off the pill and legitimately are ovulating for, you know, three, four cycles that are totally dry. Like they're not seeing anything. And that's because, um, the pill can have a negative effect on cervical crypts. It's, it's, it's not a forever thing. Typically you recover, but it, it can be a temporary thing. Um, so So I I think that would be the first thing because you'd want to figure out why. So I think the takeaway is that it's not normal not to have any. So if you don't have any, then that it's a problem. So it could be as simple as you have allergies and you're taking antihistamines. And so (laughs) when you, you know, you, when you take antihistamines, when your nose is running, right. And that stops that. So it does the same thing to your cervix. It's, it's a really interesting, but it's, it's a legit thing. Um, if you've done several rounds of IVF treatment, they've given you Clomid, et cetera. Clomid makes your body unable to accurately perceive how much estrogen is there. And so, um, (laughs) it's actually a breast cancer, anti-breast cancer drug, which is another story, but basically, you know, when you take it, your body doesn't accurately perceive how much estrogen is there. So then you end up, you know, making more and that's what can cause ovulation. But ironically, uh, it, 
can um, reduce, it's known to reduce cervical mucus production. It's known to actually thin the endometrial lining. So even though it's this fertility drug, it has these, you know, anti-fertility qualities. So I know that's a long answer, but I think that it's helpful to have a little texture. It's not just this easy thing. I think people always want to hear like, oh, well, just take this vitamin <laughs> and, you know, get all the mucus and, and yeah, you can take like a B complex and B vitamins can help sometimes, but then what if that's not the problem? Totally. And I think there's never just one solution or one thing that's going to support. And that's why knowing how you feel and then, and I'm sure you see this, but if someone tracks on charts their cycle and let's just say they do it for six months, 12 months, come the sixth, eighth, ninth month, they're going to be like, oh my God, I can notice these changes based on my lifestyle. And they start to really clue into like what is actually creating a change in their body, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. There's something else I, I feel like I should say, because um, I think from the point of the question, the majority of your clients would then potentially be trying to conceive. And so the obvious concern with not seeing any mucus is that I won't be able to get pregnant. You know, I need to have scathed like all this mucus. So the one thing to keep in mind is that most women don't have like cups and like just flowing out of that like it's not this <laughs> giant amount <laughs> that it's not a waterfall <laughs> yeah it's not a water bottle yeah exactly I think that's a good example so I think that's we, we want to put our expectations into context because many women will say that but when I get charting with them they are actually seeing mucus but maybe they're only seeing it like once a day you know and and, and they think that that's a problem so the one thing that I think is really important is that when you're trying to conceive there's no one factor so uh, what needs to happen in order to have a baby is that we need to have healthy eggs, um, you know, upon ovulation, healthy sperm, we need to have healthy mucus, we need to have a healthy body. And uh, I've seen with my eyes clients who have these cycles where they're not making mucus, usually for a specific reason, maybe it's post pill stuff or um, antihistamine stuff or whatever, but they ovulate and they conceive. So um, that's something that can kind of like warp your brain a little bit, but it's just, it's, it's not to say that it's not good to have good mucus, but it's just to say that we, the most important thing for timing, um, would be to figure out when you're ovulating. So the tip for someone who's listening, who doesn't have great mucus, if you're comfortable, maybe start checking your cervix, have a secondary sign to be able to identify when you're in your fertile window and the cervix would be softer, more open and higher. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my brand new signature membership program, the Well Woman Academy. Would you love to discover your own menstrual cycle, understand ovulation, master menstruation and live cyclically? Well, your menstrual cycle membership is here. The Well Woman Academy is a monthly membership where together we study menstrual cycles, cycle tracking, cycle rituals, contraception, the feminine, eating and moving through your cycle. Yep, it's the number one place to discover how to end cycle signs and PMS for good. For less than $2 a day each month, you'll access over 150 live self-paced educational classes and cyclical specific learning modules across a wide range of formats, including written, audio, video, and guided home study. Not to mention every membership gives back with the menstrual cups to menstruators in need thanks to our commitment with the COVA project. Join me and women from all over the world inside our private Facebook community and online learning portal as we awaken your cycle, reconnect your body and guide you to live in cyclical harmony. Learn more and join us at www.wellsome.com forward slash academy. 
I always feel like when the cervix is high, it's like welcoming in the cock, you know, exactly. it's like, this is the, come on in. Um, yeah, it's a, the body is so fascinating. Like our female menstrual bodies are so fascinating. Now let's learn a little bit more about like how someone could start this process of learning about charting for fertility. Firstly, how accurate is, you know, natural fertility awareness and charting for fertility? How accurate is it? Well, there was an interesting study that I was looking at, and basically what they did was they had a group of women who were charting their cycles, and they had them check their cervical mucus, and they had them score their mucus. So essentially give a mucus score. And so given, you know, I don't recall reading the exact parameters, but essentially the clear, stretchy lubricative would be the higher score. (laughs) So basically based on their own classification of their own mucus when they're identifying which is you know better like well I would say peak that would be the the language that I would use but like so we call the clear stretchy stuff peak but basically based on their own independent mucus scores their um, assessment was more effective than any you know ovulation kit or timing or any of that stuff so um, so there's science to back up (laughs) that um, so th- that was a really interesting study to just show that, you know, your own analysis of your own mucus, identifying which are the kind of quote optimal days, and then choosing to have sex on those days is actually more effective than a lot of these other tools that we use. Um, and I mean, it depends on, there's other studies that just look at mucus and look at the, the, the quality of mucus and there's studies that look at the timing aspect of it. And it's a established fact in the scientific community that the fertile window is six days. So in terms of how accurate is it? Well, when you kind of get your head around the fact that it's not about what day of your cycle it's on, and it's about when you observe the cervical fluid. So, you know, and get out of your head. So if you observe the cervical fluid on day 10, have sex, (laughs) don't start this conversation about how, well, it's too early. I never ovulate this early, or it's too late. I never ovulate this late or whatever. So when you kind of get your head around that, um, I would say that it's the most accurate in terms of timing because it's based on real-time measures, what's happening in your body. I love it. Thank you for for answering that question, Lisa. All right, let's learn about charting. So if someone's listened to this and they've been using a cycle tracker already, be it either a written version or an app, and they've never done fertility charting, how could they start fertility charting if they do have awareness about their cycle already? Mm -hmm. And are these just in general or women who want to get pregnant? Um, I think, could we talk about for those wanting to avoid and then those wanting to um, achieve? Well, so for someone who's wanting to avoid pregnancy, you know, I do think it's important to, to really take it seriously because pregnancy is possible in every cycle with ovulation, regardless of the quality of mucus or all of that kind of stuff. It's always possible. So for someone who is is, you know, wanting to transition to using fertility awareness to avoid pregnancy, I think that it's really possible, really important to take sufficient time to learn to chart. So if you're learning on your own, um, you know, the first thing is to do a little bit of research, look at the different methods, you know, there's quite a few different uh, methods of charting, choose one, and take a minimum of three to six cycles to chart and learn how to do that before you start having unprotected sex. So if you're really serious about it, then you're going to want to consider having a, you know, a backup barrier method. Um, a different way to manage your fertility so that you actually chart and understand it. So it's a good analogy is learning how to drive a car 
or, you know, I have a standard. So learning how to drive standard, you could read a book about driving standard. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, when you get in the car is when you really start to learn. And so it's the same kind of thing, you know, you can understand it theoretically, but you do need to take a little bit of time to actually chart and to figure out what is happening with my mucus. How do I track it? You know, oh, this temperature thing, how do I actually confirm ovulation and confidently? So you need enough time. If you're working with an instructor, which I highly recommend if you are wanting to use it for birth control, even just a few classes or, you know, just to really speed up the learning curve, then, you know, that time can be truncated to, you know, one to three cycles, depending on your comfort. Um, so, so I would say that it's really important not to just jump into it because it, you do want to make sure that you learn the rules and understand the ropes because, um, you know, one way to look at it is if you're on birth control, uh, you're making your body resistant to sperm. That's how I describe it. You know, when you're on the pill, the pills, you know, primary mode of action is to suppress ovulation. So there's no egg. And then it, um, you have that thick mucus plug in all the time. So you're not making any fertile quality cervical mucus. And then the endometrial lining is really thin. So, you know, not optimal for a fertilized egg, even if something were to happen. So you're literally making your body resistant to sperm. So once you come off <laughs> your birth control and you're charting, you know, you've pulled the goalie, you know, so you really have to approach it in a mature and I would say intentional fashion. So when you're trying to conceive, it's also equally important to learn, but of course I wouldn't necessarily, like you don't need to have several months, like you just try, but I would say uh, the most important, uh, most important sign to, to really take time to understand and learn would be your cervical fluid. Uh, you really want to start paying attention to it. Uh, you can do that by every time you go to the bathroom. So I drink a lot of water. So, so I go to the bathroom at least four or five times a day. So you can start by every time you go to the bathroom, you know, you know, wipe yourself. I teach my clients to, you know, fold the, fold the toilet paper flat and then wipe from front to back. I know that that's hard for some people. I think like 80% <laughs> of women wipe front to back and like 20% wipe, like, and it's like back a full thing. Um, but either way, wipe yourself <laughs> and start paying attention if you're cycling, there's probably a time in your cycle when you do notice fluid, wetness, if, if even a feeling of wetness, where you feel like there's more in your underwear or you see more in your underwear. So start wiping, start looking at what you see, you know, start checking. And, you know, once you do this for a couple of cycles, you'll start to see and notice that there is a period of your cycle, a period of time where you see the cervical fluid some, somewhere after you, you know, your period stops in the, the next week or two depending on your cycle, of course. Um, and then once ovulation happens, that largely stops. So when you're trying to conceive, I would say focus on the mucus. And then of course, learn to take your temperature and all those kinds of things to be able to confirm ovulation. But in terms of timing, you just really want to be aware that it's the mucus. So if you see the clear stretchy, you don't have the sex, basically. Especially if you're trying to conceive. If you're, if um, you're trying to conceive. Yeah. <laughs> Do not have the, I, the unprotected sex if you're trying to avoid, unless you really mean like by avoid, you mean try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just come to your own conclusion on, your, on that. Um, and, what, and what it is. And I think that's the first point. Like the first step is to decide what is your goal and what, and like, what is your current goal right now? Um, I always feel, you know, when you get to know your cervical mucus really well, and I'm sure you can sort of notice this in yourself too but I always notice sensations first in like my energy. I'm like, Oh, I feel really confident and God, I look good today. And then I'm like, Oh, my libido feels a bit higher. And I'm like, Oh, where's my partner. And I, um, that's when I'm like, Oh, 
I'm slippery. <laughs> you know, I normally notice those other things first now than, than the, you know, that peak kind of mucus. Um, but it's just your whole body changes um, in all different ways. So I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful overview. So thank you for guiding us through that. Now, I know that you have like authored and written how the menstrual cycle is the fifth vital sign. And I love this. So a little bit of a fangirl moment. Um, Why do you consider the menstrual cycle a vital sign? Well, so, I mean, great question. Thanks for that. But I think that um, the way that I look at it, and, and again, you know, I'm not the one that invented this concept. Many health professionals worldwide are coming to this conclusion. Um, there's some interesting, I think a lot of it tends to be focused on teenage girls. And I think that provides a good example. If you're 16 years old and you, there's no sign of your period, that's a problem. <laughs> um, but basically the reason that our menstrual cycle is considered a vital sign, if we think about the most common vital signs, like your body temperature or your respiratory rate, or your blood pressure, um, it, you know, we know that there's a normal parameter for that. So we know that when you go and get your blood pressure checked, if it's too high, not only does it tell the doctor that there's something wrong, but it tells the doctor something kind of specific because there's certain things that cause high blood pressure versus low blood pressure. So with the menstrual cycle, it's not just the period that, that we would look at. So if we look at the whole cycle, so a period is certainly part of it. And there are normal parameters for how much you're supposed to bleed, how long, um, what the blood should look like, those kinds of things. Um, we can look at when ovulation is happening in the cycle. If it's happening, you know, that's a pretty huge, like if you're not ovulating, that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. if you don't have any cervical fluid. So, and some of the things that your menstrual cycle can help you to identify and understand are quite practical. You know, like if you have a yeast infection or if you potentially have abnormal, you know, cervical discharge, uh, you know, that could even help us to identify if you might have abnormal cervical cells. So just, you know, so it's, it's, it's that interest. And so for example, abnormal bleeding, if you're bleeding at other points of your cycle, I had a couple clients this year who were bleeding like indefinitely for like months. So, you know, things like that really should get our attention. Um, yes. <laughs> and Definitely. so, yes. And so basically, uh, I think the the takeaway is that just like the other vital signs, there is a normal range for all of these different menstrual cycle parameters. You do have to be, you know, I suppose working with someone who's aware of these things or depending on the type of practice that they do, I think some things are quite obvious, but I say that, but then I, you know, I know of women who like have spotting for weeks and don't necessarily (laughs) go to the doctor. So there's certain things that I would consider to be quite obvious that I think, you know, as women, we might just accept and all those kinds of things, but hopefully that gives a basic example of it. The first step is to start understanding what's normal, what a normal cycle looks like, what these parameters are supposed to look like. It doesn't mean that we need to be freaked out over every single thing, but it does mean that the cycle is always reflecting our overall health. And there are certain serious conditions that we can identify. So back to the example of if you just stop ovulating, I mean, that's a pretty common issue, hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA. Uh, But ironically, you know, some medical professionals might just say, oh, just put her on the pill and then (laughs) that'll, you know, make her bleed every 28 days. And that's great. But uh, from a real kind of like a, I care about you perspective, 
if you stop menstruating for six months or more, you're at a lifetime greater risk of developing osteoporosis because not ovulating and menstruating is basically a sign that you're starving, you know, to death. Um, I shouldn't say that, but um, HA is characterized by over exercise under nutrition and stress. So legitimately your body is like stopping ovulation to protect you because you are so undernourished that you literally can't sustain a pregnancy. So, um, so I'll stop there, but I think I've made my point. <laughs> no one can see me, but I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. say it louder for the ladies in the back. And yeah, the just a little bit louder. People. <laughs> I, um, please sing it, sing it right to the core. Um, I, that just what you mentioned, it makes me think of athletes and elite athletes and how, you know, elite athletes that are female and men's or born menstruators these days very much push their body so much as if they have a masculine, you know, male setup of an endocrine system. And then they stop being an athlete and then they're like, oh, I'm ready to get pregnant now. I'm ready to have babies. And it's like, hang on a second, your cycle's not even here. <laughs> So um, I think that I love that you have labeled it as the fifth vital sign, because if something's wrong and off in your body with your cycle, it's there's something else going on. And I always, it makes me think Lisa about how, you know, and I don't know what it's like for you, um, like growing up is that, you know, it was just accepted that periods were supposed to be painful and that periods are supposed to be challenging and hard and heavy. And I feel that that stigma and dogma has led to why women who do spot for two weeks don't do anything about it and why women who bleed for a long period of time or have excessive pain or heavy bleeds, they don't do anything about it because they just think that, well, that's normal, right? It's supposed to be like this. And so I love that you've written this book um, to help kind of show that there's, you know, there's a lot more to it and your body's not designed to be in pain is what I'm always saying. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel the need to just to put it out there because you're right. A lot of women um, just accept this and, and don't know that it could be wrong. So I do a, I do a, um, a demonstration for all of my group programs where I kind of demonstrate what a normal period looks like. Like I have like water and I usually find a way to dye it red and, you know, using all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is that if you think about it, if everyone who's listening, who like has a period, if you think about it, you know, you, you don't talk, I mean, unless you do, I didn't, you don't talk to your girlfriends about how much you bleed and like compare how many pads you use today. So you don't really know what is other people are experiencing. So from my experience, uh, I, I would say most people then just kind of assume that what they experience is what everyone else experienced. I know it's what it was, that's what I did. <laughs> um, this is why people need training to teach other women about their cycle, because, um, you know, when I started to work with women, uh, many of my clients have completely different bleeding patterns than me. And so if you don't even know what's normal, then you could have a problem and not know it. So for example, that a normal period volume would be somewhere between 25 to 80 milliliters, which is somewhere um, like three to four ounces thereabouts. I'm not the greatest with the conversion. Um, but what that could look like in a menstrual cycle is you're soaking like five pads a day, right? The whole time, like at the 80 milliliter mark. So there are women who lose 80 milliliters in a day who are changing their cup every hour and who just assume that it's fine. 
And what I would say is it's helpful to know what those normal parameters are for a couple of reasons. They give 80 milliliters as the top limit for heaviness, because if you bleed more than that regularly, you're more likely to be deficient in iron. And that makes sense. Um, totally. But also women who bleed really heavy are more likely to have potential issues. Like maybe they have fibroids or uterine polyps. Um, maybe there's other issues of, you know, estrogen dominance or est how, how you project, uh, process estrogen in your body. Um, and even up to and including a, a full-on bleeding disorder where you have like a problem clotting blood that could be life-threatening. <laughs> so like, and the challenge is that how many of these women go to their doctors with, you know, and say, oh, like I have a period. So the doctor says go on the pill. So there's a whole other conversation that could be had there. If you're going to a doctor, you should be actually tracking how many pads you're soaking, talk their language, try to get a quantifiable amount somehow, even if you just give them numbers, right? Um, soaked 12 pads today, right? Um, but this is important information because to your point, there are women out there who do have legitimate issues, but they just, they'd either, many of them have tried to get support, but maybe are just brushed off or just put on a different medication. And then others don't even go because they kind of know maybe they, they won't be taken seriously or those kinds of things. Thank you for bringing that up. I hope that everyone who's listening to this, who feels like they kind of fall into that category of experience, that this inspires you to look elsewhere for support and maybe just investigate, hang on, is this normal? Like, is this, maybe this has been my normal for a year or a few months, but is this actually considered normal? So thank you so much for sharing Lisa, I've loved having you on the show to talk about all this stuff. I know so many people are going to get so much benefit out of it. Um, I would love to share with everyone, how can they find you? Like, what's the best way that they can connect with you before I ask you the final podcast question? Well, thank you for that. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to learn more about periods, I, you know, have a podcast, Fertility Friday. It's in year seven, I think, and there's almost 400 episodes, which is completely insane. So, but if you, if you type in Fertility Friday into your favorite podcast player, you'll find me there. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Fertility Friday and um, my website, fertilityfriday.com. You're seeing the theme here. <laughs> um, yeah. And the topics we talked about today and more, um, I go through in tons of detail in my book with a lot of citations and all those things. So if you head over to the fifth vital sign, book.com you can actually get the first chapter for free amazing well i'm going to pop all those links in the show notes make sure you go to instagram and look up fertility friday it's such an easy easy name to remember <laughs> as an easy handle um thank you for sharing now final question i ask all of our guests this and i'm very excited to hear what your response is going to be lisa i want you to think back to that younger menstruating self of you where you started getting your period for the first time what are three things you wish you had have known then that you now know today? That's a great question. I love that. Um, I guess the first thing is kind of basic. Like I wish I had known about cervical fluid and how it related to ovulation. That would have helped me to learn how to predict my period. And that would have been very useful information. Uh, the second thing uh, is I guess a little bit more complex. I wish I would have known more about period pain and how to manage it. So, um, I mean, my pain was pretty severe. I often wonder if, you know, maybe I had a touch of endo. I don't, I don't, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever have a laparoscopy. So, so I don't think I'll ever get that firm diagnosis. Uh, but it was certainly really, really bad. Uh, so the second thing would certainly be, I feel like it's the second and the third thing, but it would have been to understand more about what to do. So the combination of 
reducing inflammatory foods. I don't know how much agency I would have had over that. I mean, being a teenager, I lived under my parents' roof. We ate pretty good, but I mean, conventionally grown meat and, you know, conventional dairy, I'm sure didn't help. Um, But also some of the, um, some of the ways that I support my clients now to reduce inflammation and pain. It it was just such a huge problem. (laughs) The pain, it was just such a huge problem for me for a long time. And so those are, I think the, the two biggest things I wish I could tell myself. I love that. Thank you. And I think you've already highlighted it really well. And it's not your point, like in these three things, but that pain's not normal. Yeah. Um, it's not. So I think <laughs> it's I really think common comes, though. Yes, it is common, but not normal. And I think that comes back to you saying that you want to know more, that you wish you had known more about your period pain. I think that's just knowing that, hang on, this isn't considered normal it's just really well I would say the one thing though is that I actually did it like it was that bad so I didn't actually think it was normal like let me give you an example I had a boyfriend in college and when I had my period sometimes I would be on the floor rolling around in pure agony and he would just like I'd be like just I'm like because <laughs> there was literally nothing he could do Please, to touch me. just get out yeah, yeah like there's nothing you could do like right like so it's I know that's ridiculous but I used to so now I've 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 birthed two humans like I've birthed two babies and when I was you know in my teens and I was having these horrific periods I actually used to think to myself that this is like labor but no baby and be really upset about that because it was exhausting also to be in that much pain And then when I actually, um, funny story, (laughs) when I went into labor with my first son, I literally was in labor all day and I didn't know. So, you know, I was having a contraction. pain threshold was through the roof. Yeah. So I was having a contraction every like say 20 minutes or something all day. But I was like, these can't be contractions. Like I know in retrospect, they were contractions because eventually they started like every 10 minutes and like, (laughs) but like legitimately. So I, everyone's labor is different and I'm not trying to downplay it. My second labor was a bit different um, than the first, but what I'm saying is labor was more manageable than the period pain because with labor, there would be a strong contraction for like a minute or whatever, and then it would release and I would have a break. Whereas with the period pain, it was just all bloody day. <laughs> you can tell I'm still upset anyways. Yeah. So sorry, I just keep going all these tangents, but do not be sorry. Do not be sorry. This is why you do this work. I know. So that others don't have to go. I can't shut up about it. Like I just keep going on. But so to your point, I actually didn't think that was normal because I also had friends that had periods and like really they didn't have that kind of pain. So I did actually know, I didn't know how to describe it, but I didn't actually think it was normal. And that was one of the reasons that I came off the pill because I thought there was something wrong with me and I wanted to see if I could figure out what was wrong and if I could fix it. It took me a long time, but eventually I obviously you know, gravitated to the work that helped me to, to get that solution. Um, so it wasn't that I didn't think there was something wrong with it. So what I would have wanted to tell myself of, like was how to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it's and any, it's, anyone who's listening, who has this problem, it's just the most horrible thing. Yep. I've not been in this situation myself, but know some very close to me, friends and family who have, and yeah, I just, yeah, big hugs and love and just energetic support is what I can, you know, best offer in those painful times. But Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I've loved chatting with you and I've loved this, this discussion and these topics. And I'm so grateful for you being a crusader in fertility awareness. So thank you for, 
you know, your book and all of the work that you do. And for everyone listening, make sure you go and check out Lisa online and um, connect with her and say hi. Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun being here today. Hey, beautiful. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm slipping in on the end here just to say thank you so much for being a listener here. This is our last episode for 2021 and I've truly valued your support and also want to congratulate you for tuning into your body. I know that this podcast helps people in so many different ways. We have very vulnerable and open conversations here and I want to thank you for being a part of that. 2021 has proven to be an absolutely year full of abundance and gratitude and I want to start by saying thank you to you. As we get closer to wrapping up 2021, I've been reflecting over everything that's occurred in 2021 and how things have completely blown me away. One of the first things that I didn't know that would happen this time last year was the launch of Cyclical School, the menstrual cycle coaching certification course that launched in May of 2021. And we are now currently in our second round, which absolutely opens my heart and makes me feel very grateful that we have fellow menstrual lovers becoming coaches and learning how to guide other menstruators into harmony with their body. If you missed out on the second round of intake for cyclical school, we do have another intake coming in 2022. It will be in the second half of 2022. So for you to not miss out on that, I would strongly suggest jumping on the wait list. You can do that over at my website, wellsome.com. Or you can do so via the link in my Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Aside from this, we also relaunched our Well Women Academy. The Well Women Academy was launched originally in 2021, and we have just done a huge revamp. This actually occurred last week. If you missed out, we launched on the 8th of December, and we have an entire new online learning portal. We have an entire new Facebook community purpose, and we have a bunch of new things, including monthly moon rituals, live classes, guest teachers. It really is the online platform to guide you monthly to getting to know your menstrual cycle. So if you'd love to come and join us there, please use the code. This is a little special WWA launch to get 50% off your first month and come and trial being a member yourself. I would suggest definitely checking that out because in January of 2022, we're kicking the year off with an amazing menstrual cycle challenge. You won't want to miss this. It starts on the 10th of January. Now in 2022, we have some really fun things planned. We have another round of cyclical school coming. We're taking on a bunch of selective clients to guide them around their own cycle awareness and natural fertility. So if this sounds like you definitely go and check out my website to learn more about that. Personally, I'm very much looking forward to deepening my own practice of yoga. This is something that I've dedicated some of 2022 to my partner and I, who I love dearly and I'm very grateful for him stepping into my life in 2021. We are planning a very beautiful trip together in the middle of the year. And I can't wait to share more of that with you. Now, on top of that, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what I can create for you, present to you and help better guide you in tune with your body and your menstrual cycle. So if you have any suggestions or would love to make a comment, I'd love to hear from you. I love connecting with you. I will be taking a bit of time offline over the Christmas break, but please jump on to Instagram and send me a message at wellsome underscore Gemily. Make sure you tag any of the episodes that come out that you listen to over the break, share them. I would love to see. Now, as we do start 2022, I have an amazing episode coming out for you. This is with Dr. Gina Cleo. She is an expert in habits. She's the only woman in the world that has a PhD in habits, and she's going to be guiding us into 
how we can restore, reconnect and amplify our habit change. So I can't wait to share that episode with you. That's going to be episode 147 coming out in the first week of January. So ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm sending you lots of warm hugs and love as we wrap up the year. Have a Merry Christmas. Have an amazing new year and stay safe. Enjoy yourself and don't forget to check in with your menstrual cycle. Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag Well Women Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.